Happy New Year. God is good. All the time. All the time, God is good. Just a quick reflection. Some of you know, uh, over sabbatical in 2017, I worked at um, the experience of, of really identifying my own feelings of shame. And in that letting go, I have experienced healing. The healing of release from social anxiety. And I'm even noticing it today just because I could sing the hymn just before I came up to speak, where I could never have done that before, that the, the overwhelm of the anxiety would have made it really challenging for me just to even breathe deeply. Thanks be to God. Last week, uh, Catherine Smith Dirksen and Dan were here and uh, named that healing for our culture would come from learning from other cultures that are healthy. Today, I will be reading three indigenous poems for their words of challenge and resilience. So I start with the first poem from Lifting Hearts Off the Ground by Lila June Johnston and Joy DeVito, declaring indigenous rights in poetry. Nine generations ago, the smell of gunpowder lingered in the nightmares of Hokoronga mothers. Don't worry. Blood spilled into rivers will disappear over time. The people born of crises are living in a place they call La Crosse, Wisconsin. People wonder why they are so poor, why they eat so unhealthy, why they drink so much alcohol. They wonder these things over the brim of wine glasses from a balcony overlooking the valleys where the people's blood has since vanished. They wonder these things and they will sleep warm tonight. They will be fed tonight. On Christmas Day, I was serving Mediterranean salad to folks coming through the food line at our God's Little Acre open house working with people experiencing homelessness. Needless to say, I didn't get many takers for the salad. An African-American woman confronted me after I reintroduced myself as having met her before. She called me out for ignoring her when she came looking for shelter. To her, I was more interested in talking with the white woman who had brought her, who appreciated the work that we do in Lake City. She was deeply offended by my lack of attending and noticing her. I remember being in the midst of getting ready for another meeting, so could very well have been distracted and not wanting this exchange to take too long. I also did not want to distract from the work being done by the person companioning her. It was not my intention in the moment to ignore, rather just offer information to pass it on as efficiently as possible. 
I did not realize the real need was for her to feel seen. It was a gift to, be, to me to be reminded that there is a person in front of me with real feelings. I apologized to her and thanked her. She proceeded to name systems of oppression within our program, the white supremacy she saw in the work we do. She had a lot of energy for sharing her interest in starting a program to train women, preparing women for the workforce, and establishing women's housing. I agreed with the name that she needed the need that she named. For me, she was calling out an unclean spirit in me, in our programs, in our culture. A few days later, a group of neighbors gathered at Lake City Presbyterian Church. Some neighbors had been missed by the original Good Neighbor meeting introducing our winter shelter. Some named major safety concerns regarding the shelter coming to their neighborhood. Would their children be safe to take the bus from the stop across the street of the church? One woman in particular had major concerns about sex offenders who might use the shelter. She named a level three sex offender she had been tracking this year to determine if he was reporting appropriately she would call the police every time she saw him in the hub urban village of Lake City. Some of us wondered if her vigilance was the result of trauma she experienced in her own life. Certainly, she had an earnest desire to protect her community. Would we describe this vigilance as an unclean spirit? Who gets to name the spirit unclean anyway? Let's look at Mark together. We don't know who wrote Mark, but it was written around 70 AD before Luke and Matthew. It is written in a time when Christianity was forming and separating from Judaism. Mark's community would have known the Old Testament. They would have understood Greek, known the customs, shared Mark's convictions, and suffered persecution. The readers were challenged to have seeing eyes and listening ears in discerning Jesus' true identity, something his disciples don't really understand until his death. We are invited to follow in the model of Jesus, understanding self-sacrifice Servanthood, humility, standing with the poor, and rejecting the power hungry. Where the Gospels of Matthew and Luke include the birth narrative in the first chapters, Mark jumps right in with Locust and Honey John in the desert, announcing that God's reign has arrived. In a few verses, Jesus is baptized, then tempted in the desert, and calls a few followers. It is all very quick and fast-paced, paced with less description than we find in other Gospels. Our passage starts with the first days of Jesus' ministry in the synagogue. A synagogue was formed in communities where 10 or more Judean families gathered. It was a place of teaching and typically was run by an administrator. 
who took care of affairs and arrangements of its services, had distributors of the alms where a daily collection was given to the poor, and a minister who organized the scrolls, blasted the horn to get people to gather, and cleaned the space. There was no preacher. The administrator would call upon any competent person to speak. The teachers of the law or the scribes would speak in a traditional fashion by naming from memory rules and regulations as guidance for all life. Jesus would have been invited to speak, though Mark does not describe the content of his preaching. Verse 22 says, All were amazed by Jesus' teaching as it was unlike the scribes and had real authority. This verse hints at the conflict theme that will develop in Mark. Throughout our passage, we also see how Jesus is challenging the status quo and the authority of the leaders by healing on the Sabbath, touching people who are unclean, not using elaborate incantations or spells that were conjured by other healers of the day, and contrasting his power to make people clean with the priest's ability to only proclaim that one is clean. Jesus is not concerned with defilement. Rather, throughout Mark, he heals a woman who is hemorrhaging, touches a dead body, goes out to the Gentiles, enters a graveyard, and encounters a herd of pigs. While still in the synagogue, Jesus' first healing takes place, the silencing and calling out of an unclean spirit. Jesus' authority is clearly established as even the unclean spirit knows who he is. The community is amazed and news begins to spread of his work. The story moves from the synagogue to the home of Simon and Andrew, his followers, then to other villages, with Jesus preaching and healing as this is what Jesus came to do. After the healing, the man with leprosy, healing the man with leprosy, Jesus discourages him from telling anyone. Jesus' ministry is one of words and actions a holistic ministry. Jesus' healing restores body, spirit, and community. Preaching is not put above actions of healing. All human needs are his concern. Most importantly, Jesus takes time to stop and pray. The rhythm described in Mark is a ministry of work, rest, and worship. Jesus encourages his disciples to follow, observe, and learn. Though the disciples miss the mark, especially when they get caught up in the energy of the crowd. While Jesus finds quiet time to pray, his disciples search for him. And when they find him, they say, everyone is looking for you. Jesus is clear that he must go on to other villages to preach to them too, because that is why he came. Crowds gather to receive healing from Jesus, and his fame spreads. Chapter 1 begins with people flocking to see John and ends with many people flocking to see Jesus. 
Jonathan noticed for the youth this last week at Camrack, where we read a similar passage from Luke, Jesus teaching in the synagogue filled with authority. Jesus would have come from the practice of reading scripture regularly and had it imprinted in his memory and on his heart. It is the practice of repetition, truly knowing the scripture that contributed to his sense of authority. Here at the beginning of his ministry, we see the pattern develop of preaching, healing, and taking time for himself. Jesus is well differentiated from the pressures around him and the crowds closing in. He does not get caught up in the fame and glory of the attention of the crowds. Jesus calls his followers to follow, be changed, and become ministers. In disciple-making, they are encouraged to leave everything behind, anything that might control them. Each disciple is challenged differently. Simon and Andrew were told and asked to leave behind their nets. James and John leave their father. The reference to healing of unclean spirits is challenging for us to understand. One way to describe this experience is to consider the fact that no one is really free. We are all often controlled by something, preoccupied, living in excess, bound to culture, and held captive by our own blind spots. We are consumed with something someone else did or what we did to someone else. It might be procrastination worry about how you are seen by peers, or fixated on things being a certain way. We are in need of healing. Jesus banishes our uncleanness, drives out leprosy, and is not afraid to touch those deemed unclean. In our community, we use the practices of baptism, repentance, forgiveness, and gifts of bread and wine to become clean. Jesus came so that we might be transformed. We are called to follow and contribute to healing in our communities. Let us name, engage, and confront the powers. Another poem. We said we wanted influence. What we mean is don't look, see. What we mean is don't listen, hear. What we mean is don't touch, feel. What we mean is don't eat, taste. What we mean is don't think, be. What we mean is come down from your office building. Stop scraping the sky like a hungry sucker sucker fish. Unplug yourself from your worries. There is a radiant song from every leaf, every stone, and it even sings beneath the thin veil of pavement that somehow separates you from the blaring symphony of creation. Look up from your phone and see. 
Catherine Smith-Dirksen compared and contrasted the culture in the United States that was revered by many South Africans that she met, especially naming the lack of social cohesion and the overwhelming number of mass shootings. We are very aware of our country's need for transformation and healing. Thalia came home from high school a couple of years ago, very disturbed by an assembly where the speaker was a feminazi. Thalia was very challenged by this person's message, wondering if any of it could be true. One thing I remember her repeat, your parents' generation has done nothing to combat climate change. Yikes, harsh. We are very aware of the fact that we are not doing enough. As this is a new year, let us be reflective of SMC's commitment to radical hospitality and spiritual discernment. Let us be reminded of the wealth and power we have as a community, how it can be used for good, how we contribute, can contribute to the healing of our world. What of our forms of healing that we can participate in? I am so grateful for the advancement of science and ways in which medicine heals, eliminates pain, skin disease through surgery and treatments. How many ways can our bodies be activated to heal itself through acupuncture, massage, chiropractic medicine, and so on. Let us continue to notice how stress impacts our body, our ability to be in relationship and to function in healthy ways. I'm so grateful for the ways education contributes to our health and well-being, how good seeds get nurtured at a very young age by teachers, parents, and mentors. I am grateful for the gifts of writing, art, music, and dance forms that contribute to our healing and transformation. Discipleship calls us to practice resilience, empathy, compassion, truth-telling, and wound-tending. Notice and see a stranger's suffering. Invite someone to dinner. Eat with someone who you might not normally eat with. Move from transactional relationships to authentic relationships based on a true desire to be friends. Move away from traditional forms of mission that impose our sense of what is true and what is right. Differentiate from Seattle nice or Seattle ice. Speak truth to power. Notice the trappings of wanting to do the right thing. Accommodating others while sacrificing your own needs. Set clear boundaries in order to do what is life-giving. Not working out a sense of scarcity, but out of a sense of abundance. Avoid doing things because of ego. Name the nimbyism in our neighborhoods. Attend neighborhood meetings. 
participate in grounding rituals and practices. Start sharing circles where people share authentically about their own struggles and support one another. Consider doing this with people you don't already know. Learn indigenous practices that start with storytelling, connecting with the human being in front of you rather than boiling people down to their data information on an intake form. Promote programs that address people's basic needs of food and housing. Support policy that considers universal needs of everyone, healthcare, education, transportation. Care for the earth, reuse, reuse, reuse. Consider our congregation's commitment to understand the impact of racism, colonization, and discern practices of reparations. Remember the hard work of peacemaking that involves noticing, naming, engaging, and confronting. It may also mean stopping what you are doing, breaking out of a codependent relationship in order to move away from excess and overfunctioning and into health. We pray for healing, for transformation for ourselves and for all people. The last poem. Time will tell the course of our collective. We are one in the end. Some are parrots, some are falcons, some are cranes, and some are pigeons. But at sunset, we are all birds, needing a place to roost, a nest to shield us from the winter wind. See me in you, see you in me. We will learn this hard lesson together. Some will starve, some will overeat, some will freeze, some will overheat. Recycled souls evaporate, then drop against the parched canvas of the earth, smelling like the sweet aspiration of a trillion lives lived. Love sustains us, love recreates us. Love remains after all the blood and all the pain. Love remains, love remains. <laughs>